1: Simplicity of gospel goes against everything in our society because our society screams, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you can do this, and the gospel says, No, you can't, but he did.
0: Welcome to the Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit MissionHill.org. That's MissionHill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
1: Is there any place to turn when you feel like you've blown it, you've messed up, and you feel hopeless? The answer to that, of course, is yes. You would expect that as we gather here in the house of God. But for many, when you get to the pit, you find a hard time getting out. You've heard of Edgar Allan Poe. Many of us read of him in our educational process. Maybe you read "The Raven" or "A Telltale Heart." He's a very famous literary icon, really. He began his life in England in a foster home and went to the best of private schools. He journeyed across the pond and went to the University of Virginia, even spent some time as a cadet at West Point. He had a privileged life and everything seemed to be going well until his young wife died of tuberculosis. And then he went into the pit, spiraled downward. And became depressed and discouraged. He turned to drugs and alcohol and eventually even to the occult. And Edgar Allan Poe ended his life literally in the pit. He died a pauper on the streets. It's a true riches to rags story. But that's not the kind of story any of us like. We would much prefer the rags to riches story. We would much prefer to think, hey, you can have a bad time and and end up okay. That's not the way it occurred for Edgar Allan Poe. But that was the concern of the apostle Paul as he wrote to the church at Corinth. He wanted them to understand, though they had blown it, though they had messed up, so everything seemed to be awry, there was still hope. And that's the case for you today. Maybe as you begin yet another year, you're thinking, what am I going to do? How do I get out of this? How can I be anything more than what I am? I want you to know there is hope for your messed up life. So just think with me for a moment, what your messed up life may look like. Maybe it is messed up because of relational tension. You ever have difficulty getting along with other people? Maybe it's messed up because of immoral choices in your past. And most of us here have done things against the word and the will of God that we recognize we should not have done. Maybe your life is messed up because of financial mismanagement, poor choices of stewardship. Maybe your life is messed up because there is stress in your marriage. There's marital tension or perhaps it's simply a crisis of faith. If any of those reflect your messed up life, you're in good company because that's who Paul was writing to at the church of Corinth. As we read through these 16 chapters over the next several weeks, you're going to see that he was dealing with divisions that came because of cliques and and schisms in relationships. You're going to see that he was dealing with immorality in a very crude and real sense, even in the church. He was dealing with the problems of divorce and marriage. He was dealing with improper worship. They were fighting even when it came to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. He was dealing with disbelief. Whether or not the resurrection of Jesus and all that that meant could be true. And then he ended this great book by dealing with their finances. You see, no matter the issue, the answer from the Apostle Paul was always the same. There's one answer, there's one hope, there's one way to fix your messed up life. And that is the gospel of Jesus the Christ. So find hope today. When you truly feel like your life is falling apart... Jesus is the one who can put you together. That's the message of this book. And Paul summarizes that near the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Just listen to the word of God in these first four verses. I now remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which you received and in which you stand and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received. In other words, he's saying, hey, alert, this is what it's all about. This is the main thing. This is the priority. This is what's most important. And what does he say? For I deliver to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the gospel. We call it the good news. Paul was saying it all comes back to this. Christ died for your sins, just like it was prophesied in scriptures that he would. He was buried, demonstrating he was really dead, just as it was prophesied in scriptures that he would. And then on that third day, he rose again. And in his resurrection, he demonstrates power over sin and power over death, just like the scriptures had said that he would. And that gospel, the power of the gospel, it changes everything. And it's enough for your messed up life. This little book was written in about AD 54 or 55, just to give you perspective. So the church was young. It was early. If you want to find out about how this church began, go home this afternoon and read Acts chapter 18. In Acts 18, you see that Paul began this church. The apostle Paul was a missionary who was responsible for starting many of the churches in Europe and in Africa, even into Asia. And we see his influence throughout the New Testament. He was writing this particular letter to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a very diverse city, a very wealthy city, but a scandalous city was not unlike Tampa, Florida. A city where people come from all around the world to enjoy the sun and the beaches and all that we have to offer. A city where some of the nation and world's greatest wealth resides. A city that used to be known as the Bay of, does anybody know what the Bay used to be called? The Bay of the Holy Spirit, but is now known around the world as a capital, capital for the sex trade. It's known around the world as a place of sexual promiscuity. Not unlike Corinth, that was known for this because there was a temple to Aphrodite there. The worship that took place there was immoral in and of itself. There were temple prostitutes instead of pastors or priests, and the temple prostitutes would actually perform sexual acts as acts of worship. Hundred of them at a time served in this temple of Aphrodite. The world would come to Corinth every two years for the Isthmian Games. These were similar to the Olympics, and yet instead of just athletics, it included both the arts, and it would include music as well as theater. And so as the world would come to Corinth, the world would take part in its scandal, in its secularization. It was a place that was known for acceptance of whatever you believed. And the church there, established by Paul, had a great beginning but began to reflect the city. So it was upwardly mobile and inwardly focused. And I would say, again, very similar to the church in the United States of America. In our churches reside the greatest wealth in the world. And when we're wealthy, we tend to fail to see how much we need God. And our churches have also become inwardly focused. They've become like clubs, country clubs even, that we think exist to meet our needs rather than to share this truth of the power of the gospel. And it was in this setting that Paul was writing these words. Now, I want to confuse you before we get started. Actually, 1 Corinthians is Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. We don't have the first letter, it was lost. And so we know there was a first letter because he tells us about it in chapter five. There's also second Corinthians in the Bible. That too is not the first letter. That's actually the fourth letter because the third letter was lost. Are you with me? So there's actually first, second, third, and fourth Corinthians, but we just have second and fourth Corinthians. But we have this as a part of what's called the canon, which the early church fathers have recognized this as being that word of God inspired and necessary not only to a particular point in history, but applicable to the church universal, to our lives even today. And as you can see, it is so relevant. First Corinthians was written to a messed up group of people in a messed up church in a messed up world. You think we can relate? We're messed up people. I know because I'm one of them. And guess what? That makes us a mess up church because here's the church. There's the steeple opened up. See all the people. The people is not bricks and sticks. The the, the church is not bricks and sticks. The, The church is not building and mortar. The church is not stained glass. The church is people. And if we are messed up people, then we're a messed up church. And guess what? We're living in a messed up world. Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth and he was writing this letter sometime later to let them know. Where they had gone awry And I'm just telling you I am pumped To dig into this with you So right after I pray We're going to read God's word And see what he has to say to us Father in the name of Jesus Speak Give us ears to hear Eyes to see And a heart and mind Receptive to you And your will This is your word Jesus you're the living word You've given us now the written word May your written word Inscribe on our lives truth that is unchanging, yet life-changing. So teach us what we do not know. Give us what we do not have. And Lord, even in these moments, would you make us what we've not yet become for your glory? And may my words be your words and my thoughts your thoughts. Because though I am messed up, you are my redeemer. And so I ask this in your name, Jesus Amen. So with that we begin 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. You see that Sosthenes is there with him. He's perhaps writing for Paul. Paul had eyesight problems, and so he would use what's called an amanuensis to help write uh, these letters down. And Sosthenes, as we would see in Acts chapter 18, was a key part of the church there at Corinth. He's writing these things that Paul was doing. But I want you to note something. Paul says he's doing what he's doing by the will of God and by a call of God. And I want to stop right there because I I think sometimes in rooms like this, in settings like these, we elevate those of us who have a vocational call to be a pastor of a preacher. And sometimes we forget that everyone who is a child of God is to walk in the will of God and respond to the call of God. So the first thing you need to ask is like the apostle Paul, am I living in accordance with God's will? Am I responding to what is God's call in my life? And my prayer this year for you is, is that you would do that and that you'd begin to understand what God is calling you to do. God is calling you, some of you, to be a teacher for the glory of God. God is calling others you to, to be in the medical profession for the glory of God. He may be calling you to be an engineer or a writer or a plumber or, as the old preacher would say, a, a, a baker or a candlestick maker or a butcher for the glory of God. I don't know what it is, but determine what it is that God created you to be and then begin to live for that and and my prayer is that God would begin to call some of you out to be sent ones to go and help share the power of the gospel around the world so he says I'm here by the will of God an apostle of Christ Jesus with Sosides to So this is who it's written to, the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul is about to write, what you're going to see is a stern letter of rebuke. He's going to deal with their messed up life. Just like we've talked about our messed up lives. He's going to point the finger. He calls names. But before he gets to any of that, he starts with encouragement. How many of you like to be encouraged? Yeah, we all do. We all like someone to lift us up and to make us feel better. And, and Paul understood, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, that that was just smart. That as he begins this process, it would be good to give them some encouragement. to think about your identity for a moment where is your identity so in other words what what i'm asking is when when you begin to describe to another person what you are all about what do you talk about you you see a, a misplaced identity is going to to cause you to have a unfulfilling life and, and so Paul is, is telling them that the first step to, to understanding how God's going to fix their messed up life is to help them get their identity in the right place. So let me just take these few verses, and I'm going to first start with three things that every Christ follower needs to remember when you're thinking about your messed up life. Because here's what's going to happen. Last week, I was listening to Pastor Nick preach. What a great job he did. And he reminded us that usually when you're sitting there, you don't need somebody up here to say, hey, these are your sin points. This is where you're falling short. No, when we walk in a room like this, we generally know And we have an awareness of of our shortcomings, of our, our sinfulness. And so sometimes you're so focused on your messed up life, you can't even let God begin to do his work. So let me just give you some things to help you. First of all, remember whom you belong to. Remember whom you belong to. So Paul was saying, hey, I'm writing to the church of God. See, you, the people, are part of the church of God. He, There is a creator and you are not he. There is a God and, and you're not him. But you belong to him if you're a child of God. And that should be the beginning point of your identity. I want you to think about something that should come into perspective in this, what may be the most divided time I've ever seen in society in my nearly 49 years. If your identity as a Christ follower is in your church or your political party or your economic status or your title or your race or your performance or anything other than who you are by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, then your identity is misplaced Paul is going to spend time throughout this letter reminding us that our identity needs to be in the one we belong to. And first and foremost, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, I am a child of God. But there's a second thing he says. He says, Remember who you are. He says, To the church of God, to you who've been sanctified, the saints. Now, this is funny because most of us don't like to think of ourselves as saints. Unless you're from New Orleans and then it's like we're part of the saints. But the truth is, I want you to understand from scripture, you're either a saint or an ain't. you're you're either a part of those who follow Christ or, or you're not a part of the family of God. There is no middle ground. Now understand how that works theologically. The Bible teaches that there are kind of three stages in what we call salvation. The first is justification. And that's where you're saved once and for all. And Jesus accomplished everything that was necessary for your justification when he died on the cross as the penalty, as the punishment for your sin and my sin. He died in our place. And so when God looks at us, if we've trusted in Jesus, this is how we remember that word. He looks at us and it's just as if we've never sinned. It's our justification. We've been made right by God. We've been justified with God because of what Jesus has done. And if there's been that point in your life where you've stepped across the faith line, where you begin that relationship with Christ. At that point of justification, you became a saint. If there's not been that point, you're an ain't. That means you're not part of the family of God. You don't yet belong to God. Everybody's not a child of God, and you're certainly not a saint. But even though you fail, even though you're messed up, even though you have not become sinless, if you've been justified by God, if you are a follower of Christ, you have become a saint. Now, let me just mention those next two stages, though we're not really talking about those today. The next stage is sanctification. God doesn't, he's not really okay with us just continuing to mess up and not caring, right? So sanctification is when I'm being made more and more into the image of Christ. I'm not being... uh, conformed to the image of this world, but I'm being transformed into the image of God. So I'm being sanctified. I'm being made more like Christ. And then thank you, Jesus. One day there's going to be glorification that doesn't take place until heaven, but in heaven, I no longer, not only have no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. I have no more sin. So I've been delivered from that ability to sin. And I experience the glorification like Jesus in that way. And so Paul was saying, hey, don't forget who you are. I'm about to slap you around. I'm about to poke you in the eye like the three stooges did. I mean, I'm going to tell you how bad it is, but I'm writing to you as saints of God. And, And then he says this, remember what you have. So he ends verse three by saying, so I give you grace and peace. Now, grace and peace is both eternal and temporal. Eternal means we have the grace of God, which gives us salvation for by grace, are you saved through faith? It's it's not of your works as any man should boast. It's the gift of God. So grace of God, the gift of God, that word charis, it's what gives me the opportunity to be saved and, and to have joy. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about daily grace. Aren't you thankful for the daily graces? You see, I I know as hard, as much as I've blown it, as messed up as my life has been, the bottom line is I became a child of God when I was seven years old. That's when I received the salvation grace of God. But there have been many days, I don't know that I would even be here, but by the grace of God. His daily grace has sustained me. That's what the apostle Paul is talking about when he says, I asked God to take this away from me three different times. But he said, what? My grace is sufficient for you. So like grace, we have peace. that's eternal. The eternal peace is knowing that because I have peace with God, I've got the peace of God that nothing can snatch me out of my father's hand. I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about daily peace. The peace that he describes in Philippians 4 when he says be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication make your requests known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Jesus. So he's saying, hey, remember that you belong to God if you're a follower of Christ and remember follower of Christ that that you are a saint and remember that he's given you everything you need to make it through every day. He's given you grace to make it through every day and he's given you peace to make it through every day. So be encouraged. And I, I think that's significant for you because as you think about your messed up life, it's easy to get discouraged. But he's saying, be encouraged. And he doesn't stop there. he then goes through and he details five things about them that's encouraging to him. Now, I don't know if you you know this, but that's just a good communication tactic, right? When you're having a difficult conversation, it's probably good to to sincerely don't just make it up, but sincerely express positive things that you see, particularly in a a relationship that you have. What does this person mean to you? How do you see them? So Paul begins to describe this. Notice what he says in first Corinthians chapter one, verse four, I give thanks to my God always for you. Why? Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in speech and all knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. Say God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you are called to the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our
0: Lord. You've been listening to the Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement